Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible OBGYN author and speaker, Dr. Heather Bartos. Hello, Heather, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for that introduction. It's an honor to be here. Oh, the introduction's just beginning. Ah, I love it. I love it. So today we're going to be talking about self-love over self-care. And for those that don't know, a board-certified OBGYN, author, speaker, and fellow podcast host, Dr. Heather Bartos is a leading voice in the field of women's health and particularly women's sexual health. She is also a United States Navy veteran, former associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology, and is currently medical director of her Village for Women's Health, B Women's Health and Wellness Center outside of Dallas, Texas. Featured in publications from Glamour and Huffington Post to Reader's Digest, Women's Health, and ABC News, Dr. Bartos loves talking all things women and sex on her everyday gals podcast, The Me Spot. How are you today, Heather? Well, thanks. I feel so. That was that was all the feels right there, Zach. I love that. Well, there's the intro. So thank you so much for coming on. There's so many directions we can take this conversation and I have so many questions. And I know our topic for today is on self-love, but I want to begin by asking you about a few other things because what our listeners don't know is that oftentimes I'll get what's called a one sheet with different topics uh, that speakers and guests like to talk about. And one of them was how to survive a sexless relationship which I thought was really interesting because it wasn't how to revive a sexless relationship, but how to survive it. Yeah. And I'm wondering what that looks like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or basically, what do you expect partners in sexless relationships to, to do about it? It's a really great question. When I saw you wrote that back, I was like, what? It's a really fair, fair kind of concern. Like, why are we not trying to fix it? But how do we survive it? And it really comes from the fact that I see a lot of women that are in sexist relationships. I see a few men too, but mainly women. And a lot of relationships are sexless these days. And that's a normal function of a relationship. It's not always, you know, like Bridgerton, like two times a day in the library against the wall. It's all, you know, there's ebbs and flows. But when it becomes sexless is usually a point when when we're at like a time frame when one of the partners is not happy with how long it's been. And this kind of comes a little bit from my own relationship. And what I did was I was in a sexless relationship for two years. This was before the pandemic. So I can't blame it on the pandemic. This was about 11 years into our marriage. And all of a sudden, it just the well dried up. And it wasn't... Surprisingly, it wasn't my, on my side. I know a lot of us assume that it's always like the woman's like, I have a headache or not tonight, honey. This really was me approaching and getting turned down. And this went on to the point where I finally, you know, lashed out because I thought he was either um, cheating or gay or both. Or I just at this point was 
uh, I don't know, fat, ugly, not good in bed. I mean, this is exactly what women go to, right? When we're thinking about this. But the problem wasn't me. The problem actually was with him. I didn't know that, that I felt hurt. So I lashed out and I actually, I slut shamed him. That's how this all started. I used his past against him and I said, why is this not happening? And that did not, by the way, solve the problem. So I don't recommend anyone go that route. (laughs) So learn from my mistakes. So this was about a year into it. The relationship went on for another year with literally zero intimacy, zero. And we had small children together. We owned a business together. And I thought, I can't get out of this relationship. I mean, it would it would be very difficult. And I wasn't sure I wanted to. And so really it came down to how, not how do I revive it? Because I wasn't sure if I could or if I would, but if I wanted to stay in this relationship, how would I survive it and still be considered a strong, empowered woman, still be uh, walk the walk, talk the talk that I told patients every day, which is, you know, you can still be in a relationship and, and it doesn't matter about the sex, but it does. It does. And so I had to figure out for myself kind of like, what what can I do that I still feel either sexually satisfied, sexy, right? Because if you're not having sex and you're turned down a lot, it really starts to wear on your ego. So how can I feel sexy and confident if I'm in a zero intimacy relationship. And that's kind of where everything started for me was we're starting working from the inside out, right? So it's it's not about what someone thinks about me. It's really how I start to think about myself. And through me surviving it, a la Beyonce, I was like, hey, you know, this is something that's really shareable and really relatable. I've had men um, that don't want to have sex. I've had men that do want to have sex. How do we fix this for both partners? This works either way. And it really is about starting on the inside. What is sexy for you? Because what's sexy for you, Zach, is not what's sexy for me, probably. So your story is so interesting because it does remind me of how easy it is to go to blame whenever there's a problem. And oftentimes in sexist relationships, some blame themselves. They're like, what is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? And then hearing your story about blaming your partner is another way of kind of coping with the lack of sex that one is experiencing in a relationship. And I want to go more into that self-empowerment piece, but I want to clarify because you did mention that sexist relationships are normal. And I'm wondering at what point does it become not normal, right? right? And I remember a conversation I recently had with a friend and she was like, oh yeah, me and my partner are really going through a dry spell. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, how long has it been? And she was like, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I know it's different for everyone, but you know, when does it become, you know, a problem? Well, it's kind of like other things, you know, when does drinking become a problem? When does eating become a problem? You know, I think, you know, the world of psychiatry has even kind of helped us define that in a relationship, there's a sexual dysfunction when one of the two partners feels as though there's a sexual dysfunction. So if one partner, both partners are totally happy, never having sex again. And you're like, we're just going to be little old people and hold hands and just sit by the beach and do that. Then that's not an, that's not an issue at that point. When it's an issue is when one partner feels as though they're not getting what they want or desire out of the relationship. And that's different for most people. Your friend was two weeks, you know, and then some people are six months. And I have some couples that has been three to five years and they finally come to say something about it. That is a thing that sometimes comes up with couples is one partner is like, gosh, we haven't had sex in a long time. And the other person's like, is that a problem? And they're like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's more of an observation. Yeah. So when you mentioned shifting from that blame to your self-empowerment, what does that process look like? 
And I'm wondering if it's connected to this other idea I saw from you, which is what you call vision boarding your life between the sheets. And I'm also curious what that looks like. Yeah. You know, as doctors, we don't have a lot of training in sexual kind of how to fix the bedroom, right? And I have a lot of women that come to me from other gynecologists now that they ask the question, which takes a lot of guts to ask the question to your doctor or whoever is a stranger and say, how do I fix this? And I've heard everything from, well, just fake it till you make it, use more lube, uh, buy some lingerie. And these are both male and female gynecologists that are telling this women this. And my mouth's kind of agape because I'm like, this is not fixing anything. None of those three things would have fixed any of my issue. And maybe it's because I had such an issue that I took such a passion in trying to kind of come up with something that would help other women and men. But when I started thinking about, okay, so this is the relationship and this is where we are. This is it. Like either I can leave or I can stay and try to kind of make lemonade out of lemons, but it wasn't going to involve sex. I mean, I thought it might at some point, but what could I do? My self-esteem was tanked, was gone. Like I had none. I had just turned 40 and I was like, that's it. I had my kids late. I was, I, I must be fat. I must suck in bed now for some reason. So I started saying to myself, all right, what would make me feel better? Who are women that I think are sexy? Because all I was ever taught as a woman and for men too, it's, this is what we see on social media and the media. This is what a beautiful woman looks like. It looks like Giselle Bunchkin or however Bunchkin. How do you say her name? Giselle. I'm not sure. Tom Brady's yeah, Giselle. wife. You know. Giselle. 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 <laughs> you know, that's what we think is, you know, beautiful. And you know, she's got two kids too. And look at her. She still looks amazing. And I thought this is what I've been fed my entire life is what this is supposed to be sexy. Who are other women that I find attractive, which we're not usually led to do as women. I don't usually tell who who do I find attractive? Uh, We don't usually do that with the same sex unless we are same sex based. So I started looking for women that I thought were sexy. And by sexy, I meant free, had attributes that I wanted, had attributes that I wanted to display. So I started looking at women that were older than me because there's a lot of sexy women older than 40. So I started looking at women in every decade. So Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren's 70 something years old. She looks hot. She looks hot. Why does she look hot? What's so hot about her? So I started dissecting all these women and I found what attribute I liked about them. It doesn't make me gay. If it did, no big deal. But what I was doing was kind of creating an avatar, right? Like if you play video games, you have like an avatar of what I thought was sexy, what I wanted to be. Mindy Kaling, you know, funny. I wanted to be, you know, smart. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I started pulling all these women and I kind of created this this single avatar that was everything that I thought was sexy. And what did I already have and what did I need? What did I need to do more of? And when I did that, I started looking for sexy in other women. I started to feel sexier because what we look for in others, we find in ourselves. So by doing that, I was shifting the mindset of how I viewed sexy, how I was taught to view sexy. And then by starting to work on that and not relying, no offense, on a man's opinion of how I looked or how I acted. So if, you know, you know, you probably, you have a fiance you mentioned. So, you know, it's a very girl thing to come out of a closet and say, how do I look? (laughs) Right. How do I look? And, and my husband's not a big talker. And so he was like, cool, you look fine. And I was like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Right. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to hear something. You look stunning. Or I mean, I wasn't going to get that. That was never going to happen. On our wedding day, when I showed up at the altar, he goes, you look nice tonight. So why was I expecting something amazing when I came out of the closet 10 years into our marriage? So I started shifting my expectations of what I thought he would do, but what I also wanted. And by not looking for that, by not even asking, 
the compliments started coming more because I wasn't bugging him for it. So if I didn't say how I looked tonight, I just walked out like I fucking own the place. <laughs> Guess what? In the car, he'd be like, I like those pants. They look good on you. Oh, do you? Hmm. And I started not by not, you know how women can be. You're, you know, you just, we can chase a man around the whole house looking for an answer. We don't let go. We're like pit bulls sometimes. So by not seeking what I was looking for that I wasn't going to get and I knew it, I was building it up in myself. I was now the validator of my sexiness, no longer someone else. Wow, it's a wonderful story. And you are right that it very much flips the script, right? We often think that if I want to be sexy, I have to live up to this idea of what the other sex thinks is sexy. And this is often influenced by what's seen in the media. And I'm curious because when you mentioned this embodiment of what you think is sexy, and you borrowed these attributes from other older women that you had seen. So what like, were some of those attributes? We're talking intelligence, creativity, dance, embodiment. Yeah, what I first started doing was just looking at women I knew every day. Like, So the first thing I would say is if I saw someone, instead of thinking competition or, you know, well, sh- she looks better than I do. I would just automatically be like, what is sexy about? And I would even tell her oh my gosh, you know, you have really great eyes. Those are beautiful. And she would smile. And you know what? I would smile because I felt good. So that's when I started looking at, you know, celebrities are out there so I could I could start to delve into it. I picked someone from every decade of life that I could find. That So Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury is 93 years old. And I'm sure you've not seen Mary Poppins Returns, but the woman killed it at 93 years of age. I don't know about you, but my 93-year-old grandmother would not have been in a movie singing and dancing, but she was. And so I liked the grit. So I was like, she's my grit sexy, uh, my longevity sexy. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was my brilliant sexy. You know, she was a voice. Frida Kahlo, artist sexy. You know, I need to, I, I like the way that I kind of can, can be creative. And so, yeah, I had a bunch of women. And so I made this list. It's actually kind of a fun game to kind of play when you're out drinking with your friends is what women or men do you think are sexy and why? Salma Hayek. She's completely natural, authentic. She's also hella rich, but that wasn't why I said that. (laughs) All the way down the road, I mean, I stopped looking at the 20-year-old and thinking, why don't I look at that anymore? And I started looking at the women that that I could also think about. I'm getting older and these women are older than me. So I can view older as sexy. I don't have to view older as as a disease, but it's actually a place to aspire to. Well, that perfectly leads into the next question I wanted to ask you about around body image and how we can better love ourselves and better love our bodies. Because as you've mentioned, we have this ideal of a perfect body, which is often photoshopped in many different ways, not even just like young and thin or different things, but often manipulated to be an ideal that no one can meet up to. And as a result, people look at their own bodies and think that there's so many imperfections that they don't see themselves as necessarily attractive or sexy. So how can we best shed, discard, let go of the ideal image of a body and come to love our own bodies more? Yeah. So for those of us who are over 10 years old, we're going to have some work to do because body self-image peaks at age nine. Wow. So before you even know what your body is doing, before you've even gone through puberty for the most part, that is the peak of your body image. So that's most of us listening to this podcast, I would assume. So now we have to repair, right? So now we have to go back and fix. So I always say, what were your parents' kind of messages about body image? 
that's a big one. We get a lot of belief systems about sex, sexuality, body image from our families, right? That's all we're looking at at age nine. I remember at age nine and 10, finding a stash of my dad's Playboys. And this is back in the 80s. Boobs were boobs were it. That's what everyone wanted were <laughs> boobs. And I was just like, these women had huge boobs. And so I thought boobs were what you, ever, what you had to have boobs. You know, if we have young people around, it's it's good to start kind of getting them through this process now. But for those of us who obviously are older, the best thing we can start to do is just go look in the God dang mirror. It's really hard to do. Have you ever tried looking at yourself? Just really looking at yourself in the mirror. It is uncomfortable. It's like sitting in silence with someone. If we were to sit here in silence, we'd be like, uh, and we can look at each other and we have no problem. But if you go stare at yourself in the mirror, really look into yourself, it starts to become uncomfortable. So we want to sit until that, that, that discomfort's gone, right? And an easy place for people to start is just the eyes. Most people like their eyes. No one really says, oh, I have fat eyes or I have ugly eyes. Start with eyes, start with the things that you do like. And then go to the areas that are harder. So for me, for instance, I all people always make fun of my hands. All right. I have cabbage patch hands. <laughs> they are they still like cabbage patch kids' hands. They are like, uh, I had a friend that used to call them chocolate chip cookie dough fingers. And no matter what weight I am, they still look like this. Okay. Oh, and no. so I I felt just so kind of self-conscious. I mean, these women have these beautiful, I mean, I didn't even want an engagement ring because I felt so weird about my hands. And that's something people wouldn't, you would never look at my hands and probably think anything. Now you will, but you didn't before. So it was something that I hold up that I had about my hands. So then I had to sit there and go, what do my hands do for me? So I'm a surgeon. I cut people open for a living. I played the piano. I I mean, do all kinds of these crazy things with my hands. They function great for me. So they just look different. So I had to start kind of, again, flipping the script on what I don't like about my body. And then I go to what I do like. Like, for instance, you can't see it, but I have amazing ankles. Who thinks about their ankles? Find some body part that you're like, this is bitching more than anyone else. <laughs> like you, Zach, have got a great face shape. Oh, have you ever you. thought about that? <laughs> you do. You know. have a great face shape. It's very, it's very symmetrical, very oval. So, but now when you go look in the mirror, you're going to look at that. <laughs> it's true. You? If you had been like, oh, I don't like this part, I would notice that next time I looked in the mirror. And so what, like if your fiance said to you, you know, I'm ugly or I, I have a, I have a bad nose. I don't know your fiance. So I'm not saying anything bad about her. You'd be like, no, you don't. That's silly. Why would you say that? But we let it, ourselves say it to ourselves. So the key now is to go in the mirror and and get acquainted with yourself. We don't do that. We brush our teeth, we look in the mirror, we spit, we go away. Women spend more time in the mirror putting on makeup, but the whole time we're noticing their flaws. My kids are watching Mean Girls earlier today and that scene where they all go in front of the mirror and they go, oh, my pores are huge. Oh my God, my teeth are mismatched. I mean, they're picking themselves apart and and they don't, it's, it's, what's the point of that? You know, we just do that as women, but we don't need to. So start looking for what you do like and then you'll start finding more and more things. You know, I'm thinking about your experience just working with people like almost on the front lines of helping people with their body image, also fixing different things that can come up in the body. And I'm curious if you could just paint us a picture of sort of the consequences around the images that we are pummeled with in our media that, as you say, peaks our body image, self-image at age nine. So when you say it peaks at age nine, you mean nine is the highest and then it's downhill from there? It's downhill from there. Yeah. And that was actually a study done by Dove uh, Soap Products that uh, women especially, self-esteem starts to go downhill after that. 
we can do better than that. And I think media is trying to get there, but like social media doesn't help, right? I mean, there's been numerous studies, obviously the Facebook uh, whistleblower that talked about, they, you know, they knew that it was causing self-harm for some of these young women to look at these filtered Instagram images. Hell yeah, I'm going to filter my face because everyone else is filtered when I go on there. So it's not a real picture. And we have to start talking about th- these are these are fake images. These are not real images. Right. And the more that we talk about it, I mean, no one's going to put their real image up there. I get it. It's but But remembering that there's a filter on all of life on social media. Sally down the street is not really in this amazing marriage with two Mercedes and, you know, three perfect kids. There's something going on. Everyone's got their issues. We, the more we filter, just know it's a filter, the less you fall victim to the filter. Well, that's what's interesting because you are seeing a rise of people who are literally going to the plastic surgeon, perhaps with a picture of their own face with the filter, some sort of filter over it and saying, I want to look more like this. And, you know, you mentioned, and I know in your work that you work with people all the time, unhappy with their bodies, with their lowering body self-image. And there's plastic surgery, but then there's also cosmetic surgery. Oh, I don't like this mold that looks here. Like, can you remove it? And I am wondering, like, how you best support somebody. Like, this is something that, that they want. And also realizing it's not something you necessarily want to encourage because... Ideally, someone would love themselves. They they wouldn't have any desire to change anything about themselves. And it's also very cultural. Like there are some cultures like South Korea where plastic surgery is much more of like a norm and it's almost something expected of certain people. Right. If they want to like look better. So how... How can we cope with this challenge? The line? <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line, right? Like, I mean, I certainly think as we get older, I mean, of course, if there's a mole that you just don't care for, of course. I mean, you know, if you want to remove that, I understand that. Cindy Crawford made a huge living off her mole that probably people told her to take off. But if there's something that really just a small thing that irks you day to day, I think that that's okay if you're doing it for the right reasons, right? So we all, for the most part, had braces growing up. I had braces twice because I didn't wear my retainer. And we did that. Why? Our parents said, oh, you know, straighten your teeth out. But did we need straight teeth? We all have straight teeth now. Or is that really cosmetic, um, starting cosmetic kind of procedures at an early age? You know, I have more women now that are coming to me wanting their breast implants out, kind of reversing some plastic surgery that's been done. Uh, I do hear a lot of plastic surgery regrets. Um, you know, I wish I hadn't done this. And, you know, I just hate the word, you know, regret. And I wish I hadn't because it's, it's useless. It doesn't help us. So, um, so it's a fine line. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have an issue. And I think many celebrities don't talk about like Botox. If you really want some Botox to make you just feel a little bit of a zip, fine. I buy makeup. Really, what's really the difference? But if I was going to go to a whole facelift, I might try to talk a woman out of like, let's not do anything drastic, especially not after a breakup or a divorce. Don't go for the revenge body right away. So I loved your earlier emphasis on Focusing on parts of our body that we love because our mind has a huge negativity bias. Even the supermodels, you know, probably look at themselves in the mirror. Oh, these elbows, you know? (laughs) Yep. And I do think this is a key part of self-love and appreciating ourselves. And today's topic is on self-love over self-care. So I have to ask, what's wrong with self-care? So I I do kind of go on that self-care is bullshit. And I say this because I think now the thing is, is that you should take care of yourself. Self-care is it. And they'll always show someone in a bubble bath. 
right? It's always a bubble bath with a big thing of wine. And there's self-care and there's escapism. And I think a lot of times we preach to women and men, escape, you know, escape. Just eat a box of chocolates, go sit in your room, um, take a nap and do a bubble bath, go get a mani-pedi. And that's that and that's self-care. Nice. That's more... <laughs> <laughs> right? That's more upkeep, I would say. You know, those are little treats. Those are like desserts. But self-love really gets to what do I need now to sustain myself or to feel good? And I don't think we do enough self-love. Self-love is you know what? I really feel as though my body is telling me I need to rest more. So I'm going to try to go to bed early the next few nights. That's self-love. Or I'm going to turn off my phone because I just can't look at any more news about the war right now or whatever it is. Those are self-love things. They're more like vegetables, right? Like we don't always love to get, but they're good for us. Whereas Manny Petties and all that, I mean, I love them too. And I love a good bubble bath is that's dessert. And so I tell women, Self-love is the most of your meal, like the food pyramid. And then, yeah, you know, but don't call a mani-pedi self-care. It's just a beauty. It's a beauty thing that we're doing. But self-love is, hey, I need to go out in nature for 20 minutes and get my Zen back and walk around and, and feel myself connected again. That's self-love. Yeah, what I'm hearing from you is much more of an emphasis on nourishment, on sustenance, on just feeling good, you know, getting the appropriate amount of sleep, for example, over pleasure, perhaps indulgence, perhaps like I'm going to, you know, have the giant cake after dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we've kind of, it's almost like the guilty pleasure, like, you know, like, and that's, and there's something kind of even kind of a little mischievous about that. You know, I always say like, we're like plants, right? So, you know, you're one kind of plant. I'm a different kind of plant. Plants come with instructions on how to care for themselves. <laughs> they tell you it's how true. much light they need, how much water, which window to face, all of that. We don't come with those. So we kind of almost have to make our own plant instructions. And what works for you as maybe more of a, like a philodendron or whatever that plant is, it may not work for me as a cactus. And so we really have to figure out what our own self care, self-love instructions are just as if we were plants because we're related, right? And so what you mentioned, it's going to be different for everyone, but what are some examples of some self-care instructions that might be on our little tag? Or what are some things that you have found with your clients that really work for folks? I always tell women that there's, that there's, there's two great medicines that are available to us pretty much all the time. And one is sunshine and the other one's water. So we teach new moms that if your baby is upset or fussy or having a, an off day, put them in the water. Either put them in a bath, take them outside for sunshine. It's one or the other. And that will usually calm and nourish a fussy baby. We don't do that. <laughs> Unless I make my kids go outside. They're like, it's hot. I know. Get, get Lily. Just go out in the sunshine, put your feet in the grass. That is one way that you can start to really just... My one child loves the water. Like I'm a water person. I'm a Pisces. So like I love the beach. That's my thing. Uh, Of course, I'm landlocked up in Dallas, but you know, I keep dreaming someday. (laughs) But some people love the sun. My husband loves the sun. So he'll go out and work on the yard for four or five hours and he just soaks up the sun. I, you know, being a pale girl will start to burn. And of course, you know, I worry about my skin at a certain age. So I do less sun and more water. So everyone kind of has the thing. Some people need fresh air. Some people need, you know, to feel the earth under their feet. But there's a lot of medicine around us that we don't 
participating in. Nature is a really big one for a lot of people. Just going on a nature walk and listening to nothing except maybe the leaves rustling. We were overstimulated as humans. So, you know, if I put my plant in a room full of ACDC all day, plants probably not going to be super happy after a while. It's just <laughs> constant overstimulation. But a plant that's well-loved and cared for and moderate of everything does well. Well, it's so interesting because it almost seems like what would be on the instructions for a human is the same as a plant. Because what I'm hearing from you is sunshine, water, fresh air, and feeling the earth underneath us. It really is. I mean, that's kind of where we all kind of came from. Now, I will say laughter is another big one. And and I think most of us, and a good cry, you know, there's a great old quote that, you know, people need water in the form of the sea, the tears, uh, salt water, whatever it is. That's all humans need. But yeah, we are. We're, we're animals. We're very similar from, the, you know, in the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom are very similar. But we do need laughter, crying. Everyone needs a good cry. That's a great form of self-love. Get it out. Watch a good movie. Emote. And what? Emote. Oh, Have emotions. Emote. Yes. Emote. Yes. <laughs> Earlier you mentioned this idea of escapism, and I'd love to go more into that because I've also heard from you that escapism has kind of flourished during the pandemic. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about that. Well, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of stuff, right? I mean, that's just, we have to just all be on baseline with that. I mean, that changed everything. And so certainly during the thoughts that we were all going to get this horrible illness and potentially die, we need some escapism. We need to do that sometimes. But the thing is, is also we don't want to do it too long term because, you know, I can go play a video game, say, for instance, and go to another world for a while, right? I can go exist in in Bloxburg for a while, say, if I'm playing Roblox. But if I stay there all the time, it's kind of like like some of those children's stories. I can be stuck there. If I live in Never Never Neverland for a long time, I can be permanently a child. It's you escape and you set a time to come out of it so that you're not permanently escaping because we do have to face reality. And so during the pandemic, a lot of us, I mean, I escaped into the pantry for a ton of carbs <laughs> who I thought were my friends and they freaking lied to me. They weren't my friends. So, but I know that. I know I did that. And now, you know, now I'm kind of coming back out of that. A lot of us escaped into alcohol and um, we said, let's drink. I mean, it's like the whole mommy thing, right? We just all drink wine. I don't, I don't drink, but you know, we drink wine all the time. That's what moms do, right? We just drink wine. Mommy mm-hmm. sipping cup and they drink wine. You know, guys go out and smoke cigars and drink drink scotch. I mean, it's it's fine, but it's it's if we're not careful, you're sucked in forever. And so escapism needs to have a like an expiration date to it or an expiration time. It's like do it, come out of it. Well, it's interesting because I feel like we've focused a lot on the physical aspects of self-love. And it's amazing hearing from a doctor that Two great medicines are sunshine and water, <laughs> which is wonderful to hear. And earlier, you even mentioned like the vegetables over the dessert. And we've just about tapped into more of the mental, emotional aspects of self-love that I'd love to get a little bit more into because I did hear you earlier talk about laughter and how laughter can be really important. And you also mentioned earlier to drop out of that self-critic, right? That inner self-talk and thinking that can easily put us in a downward spiral towards things like depression or anxiety about our bodies. So if we want to make ourselves love better, what are some things that we can do more in the mental, emotional space? Yeah. So, you know, again, the pandemic 
you know, we have a really an epidemic also of mental health issues now that we just weren't prepared mentally and emotionally on how to do this. You know, our our great grandfathers or our great grandmothers and our grandmothers had done this before, right? With the Spanish flu, They're, they had a similar thing, but none of us had done it. And, you know, we had kids out of school, you know, that, that may actually be 10 years behind the curve because they've missed being milestones and babies that have never seen faces before of strangers because we wear masks all the time. So, you know, one of the biggest things I tell women is to get rid of the word should. That's a great form of self-love. Just ban the word should from your, from your lexicon. It should not exist as a word because what is should? What, what, what does that do for us? I should do this. I should go to the gym. I should go to work. I should do this. It's already self-punishing, just the word. Now, if I said, hey, we should go shopping together, that's a little bit different. But I tell women, just get rid of the word should. Because I women all day long say, well, I should do this more. I'm like, ah, stop. Don't say that. No, no shoulds. No shoulds. It's like shit. It's like, just get, get it out of your out of your vocabulary. And then another one is, is when you say it, is move on, forgive yourself and move on and get past it. And those are two big things for mental health right there. In fact, I tell people that's the one thing that will improve your mental health by the weekend is getting rid of the word should. I should be wearing real pants right now, but instead I'm wearing shorts while I talk to you. (laughs) See, I'm dressed from the waist up. I should be, you know, I should look professional. Well, what is that? All I did was just make myself feel bad because I don't look professional is what I'm saying. So it's all about how we kind of talk to ourselves, right? Well, it's interesting you mentioned dropping shoulds, which I also really resonate with this advice. But I'm thinking about how easy it is to turn self-love into a list of shoulds. We put self-love at the top of our self-improvement project. You know, I should meditate. I should do yoga. I should be less stressed. I should do this, 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 and this. So how do we make our self-love project not balloon into a list of shoulds? That's amazing. That's an amazing question because that's exactly, you know, I've fallen into this trap too. I first read, I guess it was back in the beginning of 2020 that all these women were getting up at like 4.30 in the morning and they would get up and journal and they would meditate and they do some yoga all before they ever started answering their emails at seven o'clock. And I said, oh, I should be doing that too. Right. And so what I kind of talk about with women is what I call the power hour. And the power hour is everything you need to get done for yourself in less than an hour a day. But it has to do also with as much time as we spend talking about what we should be doing or feeling bad because we aren't doing something and how much time that I find that I waste thinking about what I want to be doing or should be doing, I can actually extract that out and make more time for my things. So I tell women, you know, what are the things that you want to focus on? Okay, let's just say it's meditation, right? Uh, gratitude journaling, blah, blah, blah. All these things that we hear we're supposed to be doing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I say, okay, so what can you fit in an hour? So I can actually fit a 20-minute walk around the block that gets me sunshine, right? So you start to do what, what we call like atomic habits, right? You start to stack these things on top of each other so that you're actually doing multiple things at once. Okay, it doesn't happen today. So the fuck what? Okay, doesn't happen. Again, forgiveness is on our self-love list, right? We should be forgive, forgive, um, forgiving of ourselves. But I can easily do about three things at once. I can put a face mask on, I can, which is self-care, right? My self-care nicety, my dessert. I can do that while I'm actually meditating if I wanted to. And I tell women, don't try to shut everything in one day. So meditate, 
twice a week. I don't even believe in gratitude journaling. I know that's going to be like, I'm going <laughs> to probably get slammed for that. I, um, I'm horrible at journaling. I just like the last thing I do when I sit in my bed is now get out a book and start like writing about my day. I love what they did on Grace and Frankie when Frankie used to do her air journaling. So I tell women air journal, like I had a great day. I'm thankful for this and it's gone. I was like, saves you on paper, pens. And you know what? It's just kind of fun to do actually. So I, yeah, I'm not a fan of journaling. Oops, there I said it. <laughs> well, I love your perspective because what works for somebody might not work for everyone. And there's often like cliches that we're told, like the bubble bath that you mentioned. And I want to ask you more about kind of what you do believe in around self-love, particularly around kind of like the mind-body connection and to hear your perspective as a medical doctor, because we've talked a bit about the mind-body connection on the podcast and how our emotional disposition can manifest physically and in different ways and ailments. So we even had an episode recently on emotional abuse. And our guest was talking about how often partners who are experiencing emotional abuse in the relationship will have physical illnesses and diseases manifest that they don't attribute to what they're experiencing in their partnership. So I'm thinking about like, if the disease is lack of self-love, <laughs> mm-hmm. then like, mm-hmm. what, would the, what would the symptoms show up that would really indicate to somebody, wow, like I'm clearly not eating my vegetables. <laughs> I'm clearly <laughs> not taking care of myself because you also don't want to turn it into like victim blaming, you know, victim, you know, you're overweight because you don't love yourself, you know, enough. Oh yeah. No. And we're really, I'm, I'm really, yeah. I don't ever, uh, like to, to any, anything shaming is not tolerated in my world. I have women that apologize because they haven't been to the doctor in two years. And I'm like, why are we, I'm not going to judge you for that. You're here now. So scooch on down. Let's get this done. Yes. So if someone was having, uh, well, so I, I, I actually have had patients like this. Um, what I usually see is a very, um, a woman that's either in a, in a bad relationship. So they end up being with a narcissist. And so that creates its own problems. But the other thing is, is it's, it's a, it's lack of, of getting out there and, and seeing themselves. So I had a woman that she's amazing and she was, she was overweight actually. She had 11 kids and her husband had just killed himself. And so she came in finally. Now she wasn't coming in for a well woman exam. No one just all of a sudden thinks I need my pap smear because I have all this stuff going on, right? It's really the moment she gets to finally talk to somebody. And so the right provider that can sit there and actually ask the right questions, what we got to is this, she was just unhappy with how she was. And she was another one. We started with the whole compliments. So she had the most amazing, I mean, they were like ocean blue eyes and they were hidden under bangs that really almost covered. And she just was dressed kind of, kind of like she just didn't care, which, you know, I don't blame her. And I said, do you know your eyes are amazing? Like the, what are those? What, what color do you call that? Is like cerulean or what was it? She was shocked. She was shocked because <laughs> she goes, what do you mean? I go, do you, you may go get a mirror. Should we go? Let me go get. Let me go get a mirror. I got a mirror in the other room. And I said, "Let's look." I go, "Holy crap, sister!" And she just started to kind of glow. And I said, "You got to look at those eyes like every day." I mean, the universe blessed you with some amazing. Those are gorgeous. And by slowly but surely, this doesn't happen overnight. But but that's when we start talking about. You know, it's it's. She shows up now for appointments. She starts caring about you know blood pressure. She starts looking for for social engagements, all that because she can start to feel like she belongs now. 
And so in diseases, what we'll see a lot of times is what I'll call like vague women's symptoms, right? I'm sure you guys have stuff too, but usually I'll see fatigue being the big one. I'm just tired all the time. I'm tired all the time. Joint pain. We'll see things like hormonal disruptions. So periods may be off. Um, certainly the sex drive may be off if that's an issue. You know, there, there are symptoms that, that could be a thousand different things that the diagnosis is. So we end up checking for a bunch of stuff. We'll check even down to like Epstein-Barr and Lyme disease, all these things. And what we'll find is, is that there's nothing. And we get to that point and I'll say, so what else is like, everything looks good. So that's great. We're reassured that you're not dying. So what else is going on? And then I'll start to get little tidbits. I'll say, well, you know, you know, my husband sleeps in another room and he doesn't, whatever. I mean, we'll start to kind of get to the inner workings because now they trust that there's a process here. And it's, it's, we would almost hope that there's something wrong with us physically as opposed to something wrong with us emotionally, because there's probably some pill I can give you if there's something physically wrong. But emotional stressors, which there are gajillions, those are harder to fix because I can listen, but I can't just give you a pill. And so when we get to that point, women, of course, are worried that they're going to be considered hysterical, hysteria. You know, Freud came up with that. It means that there's nothing wrong with you and they think that there is. But sometimes I say, you know, life just fucking sucks sometimes. So what's going on? And then doing the exercises like that woman did starts to bring it out of your shell a little bit, a little bit, and every little bit helps. So as we're a bit winding down, I'm just curious if there is anything that we missed around this idea of self-love over self-care. I've loved all the advice we've been given so far. I I love the two great medicines of sunshine (laughs) and water, (laughs) not to mention, of course, laughter. I love this idea of power hour, just like one hour of you you know, taking care of yourself during the day, because sometimes I do feel like self-love and self-care can be a full-time job. So is there anything else, you know, more that we, that you feel called to share with our listeners? Oh, I mean, I think what the, what we really, this is not like a quick fix. And I think a lot of us are used to these days wanting the magic pill, wanting something that will fix it all right away. And it's, it's about consistency and persistence, but also resiliency. And humans have that in spades. We are very resilient as people. I mean, women especially, right? Like we can have a baby and our uterus like snap backs to like, you know, normal size within like a week. I mean, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) I'm sure you guys can do things like that too. But, but I think we're all, well, I wanted that tomorrow. I want that, you know, how fast can I get that? How fast can I do all these things? And it's just about baby steps. It's really just making the first step, whatever that's going to be. It can be as simple as going to the mirror and looking at yourself. It can be, and that's it for a month. That's all we do. There's no rush. It's the journey of life. It's not, let me get to that destination as fast as I can. Now let me get to the next list. We're not checking off of a list. We're actually, we're actually like you're a plant. We're going to take care so you can thrive. Yeah, I love that metaphor. Just coming back to, you need exactly what a plant needs. <laughs> you need space, fresh air, sunshine. And I often use the metaphor of even growing like trees, like in my own practice, that day to day, it doesn't look like a tree is growing very much. You don't really see it. But continuous practice, growth steps over a long period of time, eventually you get so... Hi, so tall. I love that. I love that. Yes, you will flower or blossom <laughs> wherever you are, whatever yeah. you're doing. 
So thank you so much, Dr. Bartos, for coming on to the show. And I have to finish by asking you the same question I ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? That it's infinite and it's promised to you by the universe. It's there. You just have to just reach for it. Amazing. So I do have to ask, you know, when I think of like medical doctor, I think of a very scientific view <laughs> of the world. So I've, I should ask you a little bit more. What makes you, what brought you to this conclusion that love is infinite and promised to you by the universe? Well, I, I may not be your average white coat uh, <laughs> doctor. You know, I, I love the mind-body connection. I love the mind-brain. I love, I always like to joke that I practice what I call neurogynecology, which is totally a made-up specialty, but I want to make it one just for me. <laughs> I'm going to become a, a, a neurogynecologist because I do think that that creativity in the mind and all that really work. I do believe in energies and what we put out is what we get back. And um, yeah, I guess I'm just not your average run of the, you know, ER doctor or someone like you see on TV, I guess. Well, I so very much appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on to the show. In my notes, I have neurogynecologist and it's trying to spell check me. Like, what word are you trying to say? So for our listeners who want to work more with a neurogynecologist and learn more about you and the work that you do, how can they find you? Yes, I'm on Instagram, usually with, I will admit, some kind of small filter on my face. <gasps> it's at Dr. Heather Bartos. <laughs> and I have the mespotpodcast.com, which is my little blog. I call it a podcast blog about, mm. about all things women's health. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bartos, for coming on to the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember many of the valuable lessons from today, including not just the two great medicines of sunshine and water, but also to drop all the shoulds on ourselves and self-care and Oh, sorry. <laughs> we can take self-love over self-care, which we can do in a simple power hour in our day, in our mornings. And self-love is a journey and it's a practice in this journey of life. And don't forget that love is infinite, promised to you by the universe. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Heather. My pleasure. Thanks, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 